All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and narco capitalist perspective. And tonight, it's not the best show in the world, but it's a tribute. And it's a tribute to our friend Louis Lieberman, who passed away recently. He was a two time guest on our show. Uh, he was on for Ghostbusters and Equilibrium. And in honor of him, we are going to be doing a show about Brazil. It's one of his favorite movies, and we had tentative plans to have him back on to talk about it. So with that out of the way, let's say hello to Robert on what will be episode 116 of the show. Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be back. Glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. I, man, I'm really missing Lewis on this one. Um, if this was one of his favorite movies, I really want him on the show to tell me why. Because you sent me a link that had a bunch of like in-depth analysis of the movie. Like someone really breaking it down and really obviously appreciated the movie far more than I did upon just a single viewing. Because for me, spoiler, this movie... This movie's a total mess. Yeah, well, we'll we'll certainly get into it, and we we should do that on the last nighters portion of the show. But before we get into that, I do want to mention two things. One is there is a wonderful tribute article to Lewis by the Dissident Mama, and she uh, she writes at dis- dissidentmama.net, I want to say, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes page. And it also shows up on the actual Anarchy page, as did Lewis's work of Libertopia cartoon. Um, so those two things are already on actualanarchy.com. And we will have uh, links to those on the show notes page at actualanarchy.com slash 116. And a final note before we get into last nighters is there is a GoFundMe set up for Lewis's wife and son to help them with uh, the arrangements and uh, readjusting to this you know, new reality. And so there's a link for that. Um, and it's called or there's a short link for it. It's actualanarchy.com slash Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. And that will take you to the GoFundMe site uh, where you can... Uh, contribute some money and, and help them out. If, uh, if you're down with that, um, I put a little bit their way and I, uh, I can't imagine going through this, uh, this type of situation, especially at a, at a guy who's my age. Um, it really, <laughs> and you're older than me, Robert. Uh, it really makes you kind of think, right? Like, yeah, I'm obviously living on borrowed time. I mean, he was totally healthy apparently. And then he just up and gone. Yeah. Totally unexpected. It just happened. So yeah, cherish cherish your uh, your loved ones and and the time you've got, and you know don't wait for tomorrow to do stuff. I mean, if if you got something you've been just procrastinating on, <laughs> just get to it, man. <laughs> uh, you, you just don't know. So yeah. And with that, uh, let's get into last night's portion show. Perhaps we'll turn this frown upside down a little bit, eh? Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters is part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. You can check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. You can also find the show notes and more for this episode, the 59th episode of the show at lastnighters.com slash 59. We're going to be talking about Terry Gilliam's Brazil, and this is in honor of a friend of ours who has passed away recently. This was one of his favorite movies, and so as a tribute to him, we want to discuss it. Uh, We were actually going to be having him on as a guest at some point in the future to discuss this, but due to the uh, recent events, uh, we are going to do it now uh, with him in memory. So let's say hello to Robert before we get into the Google description and kick this bad boy off. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Glad to be back in a somber episode serious tone but we'll try and have a good time anyway in in lewis's memory well said sir and uh there's a gofundme set up so if you want to uh contribute in any way to help his uh his uh surviving wife and son uh you can go to lastnighters.com slash lewis l-e-w-i-s and that'll be on the show notes page as well so with that out of the way let's get into the google description this is brazil 
came out in 1985 drama fantasy two hours and 23 minutes depending on the cut this was the uh, that's the long cut uh directed by terry gilliam of monty python fame and it got some uh, pretty good reviews here eight out of ten on imdb 98 percent rotten tomatoes however roger ebert gave it a two out of four and 86 percent of google users like it here is the description low-level bureaucrat sam lowry played by jonathan price escapes the monotony of his day-to-day life through a recurring daydream of himself as a virtuous hero saving a beautiful damsel. Investigating a case that led to the wrongful arrest and eventual death of an innocent man instead of wanted terrorist Harry Tuttle, played by Robert De Niro, he meets the woman from his daydream and in trying to help her gets caught in a web of mistaken identities, mindless bureaucracy, and lies. Budget of $15 million, box office of $9.9 million in North America, but I think internationally did better than that. It's become a bit of a uh, cult classic, and uh, we will have a fair amount of stuff to discuss on this, but what do you say so far, Robert? Well, this seems to be one of those movies that is either less of the sum of its parts, less than the sum of its parts, or more than. Um, There's an article that you sent me, what does this movie mean, where he really gets into the nitty gritty and all this symbolism and iconography of what actually is going on as opposed to what just appears on the surface to be is what's going on. So it's fun that, you know, you could enjoy it on different levels. But for me, if you have to go online and do a bunch of research to really enjoy a film, eh. I think that's that's asking too much of an audience. I think you really need to put it up on the on the on the on celluloid for the audience to uh I mean, I guess it's all up there, but maybe I'm just too dumb. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just too stupid. I don't know. It's a cerebral film. It's either a cerebral film or it's a mess of a film. I I don't know. I've got notes. I got notes. Yeah, and I I see where you're coming from because I was watching this for the second time. I watched it for the uh first viewing ever uh, about 10 years ago and then um again recently for this episode and i was confused the first time and i was confused the second time but after reading that article it makes a lot more sense and now that i've had some time to sort of like reflect on it um i think it's one of those movies that would benefit from multiple viewings but the the caveat there is you have to have enjoyed it the first time or two otherwise you're not gonna get through it because uh it drags, man. It, it it just goes and goes and goes, and and you're like, what's going on? Why are why are we daydreaming of being an angel fighting this uh, samurai warrior uh, for long sequences, you know, and multiple times? And uh, I I was chatting with you on IM as my wife and I were watching this, and I'm like, oh my god, it's not over yet. It's not even halfway. <laughs> and I multiple times while I was watching it, I was like, what is this movie about? What is the plot? He's he saw a girl and it looks like the girl that he's always fantasizing about saving. So that's why he's chasing her, I guess. But what does he hope to accomplish? Is this like a romance movie? Is this a love at first sight? And therefore, I mean, I, OK, so anyway, let's 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 start at the beginning. OK, first off, the audio mixing is horrid, absolutely atrocious. There are parts of the film where it's super, super loud and then quiet and then loud and quiet and quiet and loud. And it sounds just uh, awful, awful, just the worst. But it starts off in a dystopian world. And it's like those low budget science fiction movies where in order to tell you that it's a sci-fi world, they just put like tubing everywhere and ducting, you know, and you're like, okay, it's 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 a it's a low budget movie even for that time right in 1985 15 million it's not a whole lot of money but it's, it's way more than it is now yeah right inflation thanks fed yeah so like i mean i don't know how much was Jurassic park made for but under 100 million i would imagine i don't know but anyway so it's one of those worlds where everything's shitty and so like the main character he lives in this apartment And it's kind of like he has this technology that's kind of supposedly kind of futuristic, but it's crappy. So it's like Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out the same year. In Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like he has all this like Rube Goldberg machine that makes his breakfast for him. And in this movie, he's got a shitty Rube Goldberg machine that can kind of make breakfast, but it doesn't. It makes it kind of crappy and wet and soggy. So technology is crappy. So we know that there's something going on economically. There's some kind of totalitarian system that's preventing the market from functioning properly. Because otherwise, this technology would be good. You know what I'm saying, Daniel? Yeah, for the most part. It seemed like there was uh, central services was the only provider of pretty much anything. Uh, It reminded me of uh, in WALL-E, what was it, by and large, was was the one provider of everything. And in Idiocracy, it was um, 
was it Costco or no, there were several companies in, in uh, Idiocracy. There's Brondo and Costco University. <laughs> right. But, you know, a similar kind of thing where like there's a, a state imposed monopoly system in place that they don't care about the quality of the goods and services or the prices of them or whether they work great or not, because you can't go anywhere else. You got no option. And this is my argument against the monopoly justice providers, you know, the court system and the police, because, well, they may have good intentions, but because they f they don't have the ability to economically calculate, there's no feedback mechanism, there's no competition, there's no alternatives. They're going to get paid no matter what. You're, you're a captive audience here. You're a captive payer of their services, whether they provide good service or bad service. So they have no incentive to improve, whether they are well-intended or not. Indeedly do, sir. All right. And rant. <laughs> excellent. Excellent rant. I appreciated it. And I tried to do it in such a way to not be offensive because, you know, it's, we live in such a PC culture now. You have to be careful about that, especially if you're in the UK. You would get arrested. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right. So so you've set the stage a little bit at the beginning here. We got this this bureaucracy, totalitarian control. There's regulations on everything. There's forms and uh, procedures that need to be followed on everything. And, and that's stunted the uh, technology here. It's sort of stuck in this steampunk mid-40s kind of era. Right. And everybody's kind of just okay with it. They're kind of just blase. Well, that's just the way it is. No sense trying to make it better because you'd have to fight the state probably to improve it. Right. And fill out form 6473-B. Yeah, that's another thing. The one thing that I had with this movie and other dystopian type movies, um, but especially this one where like they always have this bureaucracy level in, in common. Everybody recognizes that bureaucracy is like this really horrible thing. But it's, it seems like this movie was made by someone who doesn't really fear like the authoritarian aspects of a totalitarian government. I mean, they do to some extent because they show these stormtroopers and whatnot going around killing people. But the characters themselves are kind of like, eh, to it. Like, it's not that big a deal. It's it, the, the, the one thing that they're all really upset about is the, the hassle and the waiting involved in the bureaucracy. Like the, the, they have to go talk to a guy and they have to ask, you know, for permission to do this. And you have to fill out form X next to do that. But you didn't it get seems... stamped, so you got to go back to the other department before you come back over here. Right. It seems like it's basically made by someone who equates bad government with the DMV and just the DMV. Like totalitarian government would be fine so long as it isn't like an inconvenience to people. Like they're okay with the morality aspects of it. But if it wastes their time, then they have an issue with it. It seems like they don't have an understanding of you know how it destroys the economics. I mean, they show it on screen, but I'm not necessarily sure that they understand it. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it, it makes me think of, you know, your random do-gooder who votes for program X, Y, and Z to help people. Um, they don't seem to, you know, they think that that's like doing good, but they don't recognize that that's just adding layer and layer and layer of regulations and restrictions and uh, imposing costs, you know, like, oh, mandatory um, maternity leave or whatever, or higher minimum wages, or you must have like all these OSHA compliant, whatever. Um, they they see the the very narrow like oh it's the bill says it's to do this and that's a good thing they don't see any of the downstream effects any of the unseen any of the alternatives any of the what would have happened had uh, basically you you allow freedom to exist right because because all of these things are preventing freedom from happening right and they have and they seem to think that as long as you have good intentions then that's your virtuous because they virtue signal about this kind of crap all the time that's why voting should... is like the pantheon of your civic duty. Right. But at some point, you have to hold people accountable for their actions and to understand that there are downstream effects and negative effects. And this narrow target of virtue, not only is it not achievable by the means by which you're trying to achieve it, it's immoral anyway. So, right. And it's just like this temporary dopamine hit, right? I mean, once it's, once you, oh, they're never satisfied. Done the they're never satisfied. There's always the next level of which we got to get to, to make the world more equal and more equal until we're all dead. And then everybody's equal. Everyone, everyone's equally, equally dead. All right. So you mentioned that the, the citizens in this world are complacent. There's, there's a level of consumerism, but it's almost, um, it's almost like, there's not a whole lot of options, but they're over the top excited about whatever consumerism is available. And they're so focused on it that when bombs are going off, they just don't even care. Like people are getting blown up at the next table and the waitstaff just brings this divider. So, you know, continue your meal. And yeah, and the food looks terrible anyway. I mean, it looks like God awful. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was totally um, like they tell you it's, oh, the number three is a steak and it's all the same, you know, mush. Okay, mush. Yeah. Right. And it's all the same, but they put a picture of it and call it something else to like 
trick your mind into thinking it's something better than it is. Yeah. And the service was really good. I mean, they had all kinds of waiters waiting on them, but the quality of the food that they had to offer was atrocious. I don't know why anybody would go there unless that really is the best food you can get in this society. It's the succulent green, right? And that waiter, by the way, he's the ultimate NPC. Like, it's like, you must order by the number, sir. And he, right. oh, I want a steak. Does not compute. Beep, boop, beep. <laughs> you know, and he's don't know what that means. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, we're getting we're getting uh, too far away from like a narrative of the story arc here. So essentially, we open on this dystopian world. The stormtroopers, due to a clerical error, the name gets fudged on this warrant or whatever this um, order. Yeah, it's like the Department of Information Retrieval, which is basically like government kidnapping services. They go and kidnap people and then interrogate them to death. Right, torture them to get the to retrieve the information. Right, and so they. Bust in SWAT team style. There's no dog to shoot, but you know if there was, that dog would <laughs> not have made it. Right. Um, and there's it's like a no knock raid. Let's, they're cutting a circle in the in the ceiling and dropping in, and they ba- bag him in like this uh, street jacket type thing right in front of his kid, right in front of his wife. There's yeah, no 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 trial, no jury, no arbitration, no anything. Just you're bagged, and that's it. Right. And and then then they give. The wife a receipt and she has to sign this one and then he hands her another one to sign this is my receipt for your receipt so they're yeah. very very procedural yeah it reminded me of like the speeding tickets you know when they give you a thing and you have to sign it like you have to sign it or else i'm going to arrest you oh whenever you get one i don't i don't recall that I've, I've, yeah when you get a when you get a speeding ticket you have to sign this like appearance court it's basically like you agree to settle this at a later time and if you don't sign this then i'm arresting you right now well, it's purely voluntary. I don't know what you're all upset about. Jeez. Yeah, I know. It's totally voluntary. It's not like he's giving you a choice of death or imprisonment or do what I say. Right. You got options. You got all these options, Daniel. I don't know what you're complaining about. So essentially, it comes down to this case of mistaken identity due to this clerical error where Tuttle gets misprinted as Buttle. And the uh, the girl in the dream in, in, in the real life of the movie is the upstairs neighbor. And she sees this happen. And she's like, what's going on? This seems really weird. And then she discovers that there is an error and she tries to go and fix it. She tries to go to the various departments and various um, bureaucrats and gets essentially nowhere. But that puts her on their watch list as a result. Right. That makes sense. Anybody that's questioning anything about the system. And it's not even she's not even saying, you know, this is all immoral, blah, blah, blah. She's just like trying to point out that they made a mistake in this one instance, like the most... It's like, it reminds me when the Southern Poverty Law Center designated that one like constitutional group that was just trying to get Congress people to like follow the constitution. And they're like, this is a domestic terror group, hate group. <laughs> just hilarious. Like the most milk toast group of all time. We're not even saying that their government's bad. We're just trying to get government to follow its own rules. And you're a hate group. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's almost like you can't tell satire from real life anymore. Oh, no, we live in upside down world. We live in a crazy town. Yeah, I see a lot of these articles by the Babylon Bee, and I'm like, is that is that really them, or is that like The Guardian or HuffPo or whatever, you know, because they're almost as crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. The real world is almost as funny as The Bee, too, even though The Bee really comes up with some gems sometimes. Way better than The Onion is now. The Onion fell off a cliff down progressive shithole lane. I don't know what happened to the onion, but it's not anywhere near as funny as the bee. Maybe I'm just getting older and I'm turning more into a conservative life lover. Old man. Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the bee is, it's two things. It's its like economic conservatism and religious conservatism, but they oppose like the NPC social justice warriors and, you know, the horrific progressivism inter, inter uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Intersectional. Yes. Justice or whatever. Marxism and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, Doug Casey, he um, he had an article recently that talked about the Green New Deal and he compared it to the Mao's uh, Great Leap Forward and the cultural revolution that happened in the 60s and 70s in China. Yeah, I'm really disappointed about that Green New Deal. Let me tell you. They had that one provision that said you wouldn't have to work if you didn't want to. And then they took that out. And I was like, no, I almost had that chance. Almost. Almost had that guaranteed income, eh? Man. Oh, man. I I could smell it. And then they took it away from me. These bastards. Yeah. Well, you know, a government big enough to give you anything you want is big enough to take away everything. you No, no, not according to uh, 
Red Cortez. I trust her. She's good. Uh, but Peter, anyway, what was, what was Casey saying about it? Well, Peter Schiff calls her the bartender, which I think is great. Bartender is also excellent. Uh, so uh, Doug Casey, yeah. So I'll post this on the show notes page. But he was talking about, he was comparing the, the Green New Deal with the um, the most recent cultural revolution in China, 60s and 70s. So post Mao. And it was where they were trying to de destroy the old culture of China, the old ways of doing things, the old traditions. And Everyone was emulating um, Mao dressing in gray. And this was when struggle sessions were happening and, and shaming and a lot of social pressure. And people were virtue signaling by uh, like saying that, you know, they had Mao's little red book. And that was like to give them cover to uh, not be attacked or harassed by people. And it's um, in, in writing this article or, or it's an interview. He said that, you know, if this interview gets read by any of the authorities in Canada or the UK, I probably won't be invited back and I don't fucking care. But uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty extreme. And it, it seems a lot like the society in Brazil here in this movie. You're saying that the society of China during the or post Great Leap Forward is much like the society of Brazil. Right. With everyone wearing the monotone color scheme and everyone just filing along mm. um, very automaton ish. Style. Right. Go along. To yeah. Get well, now about that article you sent where it talks about, you know, the gray colors and the the ducting symbolizing the Ministry of Information, you know, and all the because the, that's how they send like papers. They have these tubes and not only the tubes where like the old kind where you stick a little tube in there and it sucks it and it goes, goes in there with the, the negative air pressure and whatnot. But also like they put papers in. Wasn't there a scene where like they shove papers down these ducks? Like the ducting serves a purpose, right? It's not just for show. Yeah, yeah. I think it's supposed to be like representative of how the information travels and, and the oppression in the article anyway. It said that it it's the it's always there and ever present and hanging over their heads. So it's it's an indication of the oppressive government controlling them and also capturing data and information on them. So in a way it's sort of prescient to, you know, NSA style stuff. Um, that is another case of the seen and unseen. You just can't see them collecting all this data. But of course, it's been revealed that they do. Right. So this movie is actually a little more overt, like in your face, like these these ducks that are in everybody's apartments. They're well, everywhere. It's steampunk technology level. So yeah, it's got to be in your face overt. <laughs> right. So they're just not good as they are now. Because now we carry around little devices that are always listening to us. But then you actually had to have somebody hear it, over overhear it, I suppose. Right. Yeah, there's a great movie called... Uh, the lives of others it's about the east german stasi and how they would uh, spy on people um with very you know primitive ish methods like low grade technology like holes in walls and like bugs with you know big wires and stuff um and it's uh it's a it's a difficult watch but we could uh, we could do that one at some point in the future if you want to get down into some east germany action sweet and that utopian society of east germany they put they built a wall so to keep all the evil capitalists out right right yes and uh, Robert Reek said or whatever his name was so what is that guy's name oh yeah yeah who who there was somebody who said that yeah he's that rapper guy that argues with he's like oh, from oh. tribe called quest or something yeah talib quali yeah that's him yeah, yeah that guy's awesome let's keep out the capitalists uh no actually it was to keep people from escaping <laughs> that guy's that guy's so gold He's like a troll account or like just a comedy parody account of himself. I Anyway, maybe the bees running his account. Could be. You wouldn't know the difference. I mean, they would look. How could it look anything else? I don't know. Well, Robert, the truth shall make you free. And information is the key to prosperity, according to the Ministry of Information. So where do we want to go with this? I've got a couple of notes here. Um, but why don't we go with with what you've got? Okay. Well, first off, how offensive is it? And I need you to give me a rating. If I say that this guy fantasizes about himself as the gayest looking superhero of all time, how offensive is that? The, that statement I just made. Well, I think that... Uh, I mean, he looks like Ziggy Stardust swallowed a rainbow. I think that it might offend some people, but, you know, that's up to them. They can be offended. Okay. And they don't need to listen or, you know, if people are okay with it. Go for it. Anyway, I think he looks a lot like uh, the dude from Watchmen, the hawk guy or whatever, nerdy hawk guy. The nerdy hawk guy? I was thinking he looked like Ozymandias. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of a, a mix of the two. Okay. All right. It, it, I don't know. I mean, he's he's got the wings and then he's got this kind of like medieval armor, but then he's got all kinds of makeup on and he's flying around. I don't know. It just it just struck me as really bizarre. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say something here. So the movie 
I think it was confusing because it's not obvious to me anyway that that was Jonathan Jonathan Price. And it's not obvious to me that the girl is the same girl with her long hair versus her short hair. And also the the Mona, um, Catherine Helmond, like she changes a lot in this as well. And I think they actually swap her out with the uh, lo- the love interest is in this. And when um, like all of these things are happening and he defeats the samurai warrior and removes the masks and, and it reveals that it's himself. I couldn't tell that that was him. I had to read about it later and realize, oh, that was him. I thought it might have been his uh, his buddy who was torturing him. The guy who was wearing the creepy ass baby mask. Right. So and I don't know if it's because of how it was shot or just I'm not very familiar with these actors, these people, but I couldn't tell that that was the same person with how it was presented in the film. And maybe I'm just naive and dumb, but it, it just, I think it would have made a lot, had it been more clear to me, the story would have might've have, might have made more sense or, or the symbolism would have made more sense to me. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. I, I think you have to go through this thing frame by frame with a fine tooth comb to get the symbolism and all the meaning out of it. I And then one of my also, my problems is, is it's just a very ugly movie. I mean, it, a lot of it was done with, you know, models because, you know, I'm sure they didn't have the biggest budget, like we said, but it's just a very dirty looking world. And it looks like, you know, Portland or something just terrible. I mean, there are very nice areas of Portland, but, you know, not the places covered in dog feces and stuff. Yeah, well, it, it had that very um, Monty Python feel as far as like, the uh the an well it, there's no real animation in this but like when the when the angel scene is happening and the the ground is shooting up at him it reminded me of the um one of the short features before i think life of brian or something where there's the corporate raiders the corporate takeovers and the they're like pirates in office buildings like <laughs> yep 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 that's yeah, a great yeah. bit yep totally reminded me of that though just like the same style and i think that's because that's gilliam's work there as well i believe so yeah, yeah kind of his jam oh and a trivia note by the way uh, Gilliam is the only non-British member of Monty Python. He was born in Minnesota, United States. Fun. But he renounced his citizenship in uh, 2006, I think, to protest George W. Bush. Hey, how about that? Somebody who's like principled anti-war, I assume? Yeah, yeah it seems that way, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I have this feeling that uh, Gilliam is probably anti-authoritarian and anti-fascist, of course, right? Because who would want to be fascist um, except for the anti-fascists now? But I think that he um, probably has a lot of the same sentiments that we would have. Sort of like how a Bernie Sanders type is really good at identifying a problem or calling a problem out, like saying... Even when they're not problems. Well, but sometimes they do actually point out real problems. Right. Yeah. Usually they, they make they make problems out of nothing. But the sometimes, wage gap. sometimes they are right that there is a problem about X or Y, but their solution is more of the thing that brought you X and Y. And so it's, a you know, it's never the solutions. The prescriptions are never. No, perfect. it's always more government intervention, more government yeah. work. And that's where I feel he's at. Like he sees that there is a problem, but he doesn't have this framework, this principled framework to have an understanding of what caused that problem and what would be the solution for it. Yeah, this movie definitely doesn't propose any kind of solution. It's more just one man's existence in this world. I mean, what what even happens in this movie? Is it all a dream? Does the girl exist? Does he just get tortured at the end and then he's in a, like an insane asylum? Or do, are we, do we even know? Are we in his head the whole time? We could be. Who could say? It is really hard to say. And I hate those movies. I hate movies where it's a giant dream sequence or could it have been real the whole time? Who knows? Ugh. I It's open to your interpretation. I, okay, I, I don't mind it being open to interpretation. All art is subjective. It's all open to interpretation to a certain extent. But when I, f- I don't know, something was wrong about this movie where it didn't have a satisfying conclusion, you wouldn't say that there's like a plot where the character achieves his goals even. Oh, so, he does though, he does. Does he? Does he? he? He finally escapes them. He gets out of their reach by receding into his mind. That's that's the end of the movie is him going back and going crazy. Yeah, though there was a, a, an alternate cut because apparently this original version did not test well with the test audience. So the uh, it's called the um, Love Conquers All cut. And I think this might have been the one that was released in the theaters in, in the United States and where he escapes in the truck in the back, you know, the the um, little house that's being transported on the back of the truck. He escaped right. with the woman of his dreams. And that's the end. Well, that's in this part, in the, in the version we watched. Right. But that's the end. That's the end. It doesn't go on to show the that the that's his head and he's been lobotomized. Mm. So that cut is happy ending. He escapes from the bureaucratic government, the totalitarian government, and uh, has the woman of his dreams. 
Well, see, that, that ending wouldn't make any sense either, though. Like, so then this government can just be escaped from? Well, they got this 1940s Rube Goldberg technology. <laughs> so, well, you could just, as long as you get far enough away, you're okay? Yeah, apparently. I mean, well, why wouldn't everybody do that? That breaks the world. They've been conditioned. They've been conditioned to receive this um, this control, and and they're they're it's it's um it's Huxley style, right? Um, Brave New World. Brave New World style. Like people love their servitude. Yeah. It, it, well, the ending of this is very much kind of like end of 1984. I love Big Brother very much. Right. There are kind of four lights to throw in some Picard. It ends with the the protagonist kind of accepting defeat and doing just what he can to survive, apparently. Yeah, because at the beginning of the movie, he's offered these promotions and he's quite good in his position. In fact, his boss uh, relies on him and is like, don't ever leave your position, even if you get offered, you know, stay here. And he's he's fine with that. He's like, I don't want to stick my head up. I don't want to get noticed. Or I want to have this consistent routine that I stick with. And it's until he um, dreams of this woman and thinks he sees her in real life that he starts to break apart from that, from that monotony that he's so happy with, contented by, even though it's it's really a nightmare. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know what else there is to say. Um, I wish Lewis was here for multiple reasons. Yeah, um, on many levels. And in fact, I, I do have some of his commentary related to this. So this is a good segment. Oh. Actually, let's do that. All right. So when Lewis and I discussed this via messenger not too long ago, uh, he says, by the way, ever seen Brazil by Gilliam? I said, I have seen Brazil almost 10 years ago now. Would be worth rewatching with new eyes, you know, because we do the show now and we've become libertarian anarchists. We see things differently. We've ruined many things for ourselves. Um, He says Brazil is in my top 10. Has a lot of interesting themes in it, especially for today. Seems a little known, though. The director's cut had the better ending, too. And I said, we're game. Would be happy to have you both back on because his wife was um, on with us previously. Uh, can you help me identify which version? There's a Love Conquers All version and the Criterion version in addition to a normal version. He says the Love Conquers All version is the happy ending that Gilliam did not want, but I think except for a single disc version from 2006, they all contain Gilliam's cut and the Love Conquers All cut. Gilliam's cut is over two hours and the happy ending cut is much shorter. And uh, let's see, he says the Criterion collection should be safe as long as it isn't a single disc from 06. Universal has a Blu-ray from 2011. He knew so much about all this stuff. Wow, this is like total nerding into it. Yeah, he was totally nerding out. Lewis, you are a big nerd and we love you for it. Uh, and he says, yeah, it, w- it uh, would be fun talking with you guys about this movie. Maybe need a few weeks out. Um, I even bought the soundtrack to this movie back in college. I wish I could find more stuff from it. Might have to make a shirt for- with the Central Services logo on it or something. Uh, it was an awesome movie and I've watched it many times. And I said, De Niro in a jetpack, what's not to like? Uh, but at the time, I, I hadn't seen it in 10 years and I thought De Niro uh, wasn't a jetpack, but he's actually on a zip line twice so dinner on a zipline for the dystopian nightmare with tuttle Mm. character and you know i wonder if um if this tuttle is the origin of the tuttle twins that book series for kids that teaches about free market and non-aggression principle the tuttle twins book series my kids love it and the most recent uh book of that is called the fate of the future and it's based on uh, murray rothbard book and they actually talk about dystopian movies in that and how um i think they read Anatomy of the State, and they're like, how would you avoid a dystopian future? Well, you'd learn these things in Murray Rothbard's Anatomy of the State. So that's a, it's a really good book series. It's great for, I mean, my kids are three and five, and they love it. One thing that we've kind of briefly mentioned a little bit here and there on the show so far that I really do appreciate about this movie is highlighting the complacency with which the population accepts this authoritarian, totalitarian control everybody's just so blasé about all these horrific intrusions into their private lives and their economic well-being and all this sort of thing and that's mirrored very much in the world we live in where it seems like you know i grew up at a time when this was very much first and foremost kind of like important to me where you know the government is spying on us and this is immoral and this is wrong what business does my private life have to do with the government and bush was like well we got to catch the terrorists and we got to be able to listen to stuff in order to catch the terrorists so are you with us or are you with the terrorists? And that just sounded so Orwellian to me. But so many people went along with it. So many people choosing security over liberty. And that was just disgusting to me at the time and even more so now. But you see it still over and over. And they say, you know, if you don't have anything to hide, you don't, you know, you're going to be fine. You don't have anything to fear. Even though everyone commits three felonies a day. Right. But that's that's the prevailing opinion. And, and to be fair, most people live their lives, you know, 
where you don't even notice the government intrusion because it's all that seen and unseen stuff. You don't see all the wonderful things that would exist if it were not for the government. You just see, you know, your friends and your family and you interact and you go to your job and you come home and maybe you see a cop on the road. But for the most part, you don't have to deal with the state. You do it every once, every couple of years. You do it, you know, once a year at taxes. You do it at, at every couple of years at the DMV and whatnot. And it's always a nightmare. Or you do it when you're traveling and you get groped by the TSA or something like that. But for the most part in your daily life, you know, more for some and less for others. If you're a high traveler, you deal with it all the time. But for the most part, the average person is like, you know, I don't have a big problem with the government. I mean, life seems to be fine. But for anybody who's paying attention, just like, are you insane? Well, it's that uh, that incrementalism, right? It gets uh, a little bit the worse all the time. Frog. Yeah, the boiling yeah. frog. So it always feels like it's roughly the same temperature. It feels like you're on this relatively level plane, but but you don't realize that you're actually on this big slope. Yeah. And it's it's a creeping totalitarianism. It's in in more and more authority and intrusion in your life. But and then you wake up one day and you go like, man, my anal probe doesn't feel quite right today. And you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, if you took someone from 20 years ago and Rip Van Winkle them, they'd be like aghast at how things are today but right. when you live those 20 years you're like oh this is just the new normal yeah yeah you just get used to it you just adapt and you move on yeah and you're indoctrinated your entire life you know you got the government schooling and and you've got the government programming on the television and the fourth estate the media uh you've got these uh people making these movies and tv shows promoting these narratives and it's it's is it any wonder that people eventually give in and buy into this stuff they're conditioned to do so yeah at the very end either they disappear into their own heads or they say oh i love big brother it's kind yeah. of what happens brazil is very much a prescient movie and and i think it is as lewis was saying in in our uh, little d discussion here uh very relevant to present day Definitely. I just wish I liked it more. Yeah. Now, what did you think of uh, at the very beginning? They're talking about the terrorist. And uh, I think it's Kurtzman. He's giving an interview and he's like he's treating it like it's a big game. He's talking at it, at it about it in like sports metaphors. Like, well, we think they're just really envious, envious of us. And they're just poor sports and don't want to get along. And uh, and the interviewer is like, well, do you think you're winning? And he goes, yeah, of course we're winning. But it's the bombings have been going on for like 13 years or something like that. So, I mean, they're clearly not containing this. Uh, they're just using it as an excuse. It's it's like the it's it's the Rahm Emanuel never let a crisis go to waste or it's the false flag that they allow to happen. Like, oh, we, we knew something was going to happen, but we're going to use that to advance our agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever there's a big crisis, it's another excuse for more control because people will go oh my God, this horrible thing happened. We need to prevent this from ever happening again. And then government will go, well, our hands were tied, man. We just we just couldn't do our jobs. We couldn't do it. So we need new legislation that allows us to have more power and more control. More money, and then, more staff. And then, and then when the next crisis happens, it's the exact same story. It's never, well, you gave us enough power, but we just blew it this time. It's always, no, we, we need more power. We need more. We, there, there, it was just we're, our hands were tied. Yeah, and I think uh, Robert Higgs he talks about this in relation to the war state as a ratchet effect, using uh, wars and crises to justify rapid expansion in power. And then once the crisis is over, they might, on the surface, nominally ratchet it back a little bit, but never as far back as pre-crisis levels. And then it just incrementally right. grows on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when nine eleven happened? They signed, you know. What was it? The uh, Freedom Fries Act. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Patriot Act. The Patriot Act. But then and then there was another one or one aspect of the Patriot Act was like, you know, we didn't share information between agencies and our hands were tied. We didn't we, we couldn't talk to each other. But that, you know, that that excuse would only work one time. But imagine enough, it happens in, again and again. And it always seems to work. I don't know. Well, it's always uh, when you don't have a market test, you just kind of come up with excuses and internal review, you know, internal investigations and commissions. Um, it's, it's the government investigating the government. You know, I mean, they, they say that the three, the, the three, um, the checks and balances of the three, uh, what do you, branches. what do you call them? Branches. branches supposed to like cancel each other out or keep each other in check. No, it's, they all advance each other. I mean, it's, it's all one monolithic thing that uh, has got many tentacles. Yeah. It's good times. It's a great good time, time to be alive. And did you see that giant God Emperor Trump float? Uh, I saw a, a brief headline about it, but tell tell me more. Oh, there's not much more to tell other than it's God Emperor Trump, you know, stylized up to look like the God Emperor from the Warhammer 40K universe, who's like the greatest person in the universe, the smartest, the best, the greatest. But it's done, the, the artist did it in a, um, you know, a mocking fashion. 
like this is like a negative thing showing how how much arrogance and hubris trump has well they're not wrong thinking of himself as the god emperor and he's not wrong but that fucking thing looked awesome (laughs) i mean the eyes moved it looked great the the hands moved i mean all this animatronics just anyway it was it was what a time to be alive well, did he have uh, Form 27B Stroke 6 approved I, and stamped to be able to I make that? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know how things translate over in Italy. But anyway, it's just it's we live in a crazy world where if you call someone a man, when they call them, think of themselves as a woman, cops will come knocking on your door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a, uh, a bodybuilder, weightlifting person who's transgender, and they uh, had won an event by out by competing in the women's event they uh lifted 130 pounds more than the next competitor and so the organization that put this on was like all right we're gonna only have biological women be competitors in our sport in our our league or whatever you know like our i don't know yeah what our private organization we can do what we want right so the new uh the new rep from minnesota the um Ilian, I don't even know her name. She's the Muslim woman who uh, wears the oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I don't remember her name, but you're got, you're in, you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to describe who we're talking about. Uh, she sent them a letter, a nasty letter that said, "What you've done, sir, is illegal by not allowing our trans brothers and sisters to compete in your event uh, because of." accommodation and association and whatever whatever like you can't do this and uh, it's just um crazy and embarrassing i think well on many levels how far does it how far does it go i mean if you can if you are what you identify as we had the guy that identified as a six-year-old girl can i identify as a 70 year old woman and collect social security i don't see why not i mean the logic holds it's sound why not i identify as it lady come on now don't discriminate against me. You could even be in the circus as a bearded lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we should get back to this movie because we are getting close to the end of our time. Oh, no. But I do want to say one of my favorite lines or favorite moments in this is when De Niro, Tuttle, is fixing the air conditioning in Jonathan Price's apartment. He says, oh, yeah, only central services can touch this stuff. They don't want anyone messing around with this. Here, hold this, please. I thought that was just hilarious. The the um, he just got done saying you can't touch it, and then he hands it to him. It's one of the. It's a very Monty Pythony like physical joke, you know. Yeah. Anyway, stood out. I'm to glad me. you enjoyed something because I didn't laugh once. The only thing that made me smile a little bit was the fact that his mother wears a shoe on her head. Oh yes. There's a YouTuber called Shoe on Head. Made me think of her. Yeah, and she was getting all this surgery to like look younger and younger, and the doctors were competing with each other about which procedures were going to work better or whatever, and they end up killing her friend who keeps getting more and more surgeries or trying to recover from the infections that she's gotten from the previous ones. Yeah, what was that about? Because his mother ended up looking great at the end, but his her friend died and was killed by all these surgeries so what was the movie trying to tell us there yeah i don't know (laughs) (laughs) another head scratcher i don't know what this movie's about all right i i have no idea how much if any cocaine was involved in making this film but it was the yeah it's probably a couple gallons i don't know but my gut my gut tells me it should probably have a producer credit that giant truck that the girl drives around in was probably the cocaine truck yeah they carried around like the little mobile home why what was that about? Why did she drive this giant truck? And then why did she always carry around this mobile home? Don't ask questions. Just put your head down. Do your work, Robert. It, no, it seemed like it It stood out. You know, like, here's a thing that's bizarre, even in this bizarre movie. So maybe have a scene explaining this thing. No? Just for the, you know, a little bit of audience convenience. I don't know, to help the story, help, help the audience follow along. Well, I got to tell you, Robert, the movie was long enough as it is. Okay, you're right. Fair enough. Fair point. Right. Oh, and, and one one final note. Um, I mentioned that Gilliam renounced his citizenship in 2006. So the government told him that he can only come back to the U.S. for 30 days per year for the next 10 years as a result. So like he would have to be like a visitor green card type of person? Yeah, get like a 30-day visa or something like that and not be able to stay any longer than that. And it seems like almost a retribution type of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a little little fuck you. Yeah, we're going to punish you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, uh, you know, it's all good. And uh, let me see, what else? You're we not need? supposed to leave the family, you know. You don't like it, leave. But if you do leave, we're gonna mess with you. <laughs> oh, and right. we're gonna go through your finances and make sure you're not taking too much money out of the country and charge you money on the way out. That's right. Um, I forget the name of of his buddy who ends up torturing him at the end, but he was also very closed off to the harm he was inflicting, and even brought one of his 
triplets. Daddy brings daughter to work day and he gets her name wrong. He calls her Cindy or Chloe, but her name's Holly. Um, but he's like torturing people to death to extract information. And he's got his daughter there and he wears this like creepy baby mask. Like that thing. I'm surprised that's not like a very prominent Halloween costume. That creepy baby mask. Yeah, it's it was really creepy. It was scary. I, anytime a, a full grown man has some creepy looking baby mask on, it's it's unsettling for sure. And especially from someone who's torturing you to death. That would not be good times. No wonder you're going to retreat into your own mind to escape that kind of horror yeah indeed uh anything anything else before we do the final summary interview um just looking over my notes i've got one more thing there were like five or six different agencies or departments that they were looking for this um the person's name buttle they were looking for information about what happened to him and they all had a different name for for what uh, condition he was in, right? What status he was, like eliminated, expired, uh, closed, uh, ended, you know, but none of them could say dead or deceased. They all had like their own, not like their own, like double speak kind of word for it. Like it's, funny that you that. That. it's funny you mentioned that because I'm listening to um, Hardcore History, Dan Carlin, and he's talking right now about these, some of these atrocities that were committed in World War II. And he's talking about the Japanese rape of Nanking. And He's talking about some of the diaries and stuff that the soldiers were talking about, you know, in their daily whatevers. And like we dealt with, you know, 15,000 enemy combatant, you know, enemy POWs today. We, we found a giant ditch and we we dealt with them or, you know, we we took care of them. We didn't, they never said that they murdered them, that they killed them. It was always these euphemisms. So there's always this double speak, I think, yeah, that comes along when people are doing horrific things. Right. And it also shows how every department has their own vernacular. And so there is that miscommunication or that misunderstanding, even within the same organization system. Right. Right. So good times, good times, great oldies. All right. Well, let's get into that final summer in review and uh, I'll go ahead and go first if you don't mind. So this movie came to us by way of our friend Lewis and he was a graphic designer, much like you are. And I think that one of the things that caught his eye in liking this was the ability for the director, Terry Gilliam, to basically go wherever his imagination wanted to take him. He had granted some low budget, but pretty amazing set pieces. He created a whole world here. This 1940s technology Rube Goldberg steampunk kind of genre that's also got that noir theme to it. Like that's that's like his jam. And I think from an aesthetic viewpoint, uh, an artist would look at that and be very pleased with what they're seeing. Like there's a whole bunch of little um, Easter eggs and eye candy to catch all over uh, the screen in many of the scenes. And and Robert, I was pointing out a bunch of the posters uh, that I was seeing to you in our chat. And you're like, oh yeah, there's tons of, of great stuff in the background. So if you guys do watch this movie again, and it is available on um, Amazon Prime right now. So if you're a Prime customer, it's included. You can watch it uh, streaming on Amazon Video. Uh, do check it out and and look in the corners and look in the background and look at what's written on the posters and everything like that. Um, I think one of the ones that uh, I pointed out to you was, um, "Don't suspect a friend, report him." So pretty uh, pretty good staging, I think. Pretty good set design and all that. The story was a bit convoluted and it felt super super duper long. Um, when we were watching this, we made it about an hour in, and I thought, "Okay, I'm waiting for this movie to be over," and we weren't even halfway. So I think you really need to be in the mood for it. And perhaps perhaps it does age a little bit better. Like if you watch it uh, multiple viewings, maybe it gets better and you get more and more out of it. Um, there's going to be an article that I'll post on the show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 59 that kind of gets into some of the theories behind some of the scenes uh, that might help it make more sense for when you watch it. But it also will, of course, have tons of spoilers in it. And um, let's see, what else? Uh, overall, I think... I think it's it's a it's definitely worth watching. Um, it's not my favorite movie. It does give me a hankering to watch like uh, another Gilliam work, Twelve Monkeys. I'd like to do that at some point, and perhaps some Monty Python. It's it's wet my appetite for some Monty Python. But I'm gonna go with a six point five on Brazil. I, I think it's a it's a hard movie to watch, but uh, I do recommend seeing it. So there's my little spiel, Robert. Over to you, sir. All right, all right. Well, some of those posters are really good and they're done in like the World War II propaganda style, which I do appreciate. From a graphic design perspective, a lot of those propaganda posters were really well done. I mean, you could really analyze them for the graphic design elements and learn a few things. They had a strong impact with uh, you know viewers. They had to, they're propaganda. But as far as this movie is concerned, this movie commits one of the cardinal sins with all movie making in terms of, you know, me. 
and I think in general, but mainly for me, I mean, I can speak as my own experience, but this movie failed to establish an emotional connection between myself and the main character. And that is unforgivable. If I don't care about what the main character's doing, what he wants, what he's trying to get, then I don't care about the movie at all. What's happening? And that's what happened in this movie. And it's especially unforgivable because this is a situation that is ripe for sympathy from me. He lives in a totalitarian state. I sympathize with pretty much everybody living in a totalitarian state. How horrific it would be. I pretty much live in one now. But I didn't care about this character. Um, I, his motivations were unclear. I didn't really understand why he was doing what he was doing. Uh, at one point, you know, he kind of like starts really wanting to find this girl. And that's pretty much the most of the movie is him chasing after this girl. And it's never really clear to me why, what he intends to do once he gets her, once he finds her. It just seemed to be that, you know, he saw her in his dreams and he was destined to find her or whatever. Anyway, it just didn't, it didn't resonate with me. So uh, for that reason alone, this movie fails really, really hard. But it does a lot of other things right. And it's an interesting discussion point. And um, you know, other than being hideously ugly, like just drab and gray and blue. And, and he's trying to, he's obviously making a point with that kind of design decision. Like, look at this drab gray world that this totalitarian state, you know, has created. There's no individuality. There's no self-expression. All these things that we get with, you know, the market. Anyway, uh, Dan gave you a positive review. This is unfortunately another negative review from Robert. Man, he is just so critical. Just a hater. Yeah, just speak your this, truth. Speak your all truth. This, all this hate speech coming out of my mouth. It's just terrible. Terry Gilliam could probably have me arrested if he was an American citizen. I don't know. Anyway, um, this is like a four for me. There are redeemable, you know, features that uh, I did appreciate. But if you can't, if you can't get me to care about what's happening in your film, especially when the characters themselves don't really seem to care, at least the main character did have some kind of emotional response to what was happening. The rest of the characters, holy crap, did they not give a shit about what was going on, which he was kind of the point. But man, if nobody else cares that other people are dying, you know, it's interesting on an intellectual level, but you're not going to get an emotional level from your audience. And that's kind of what you need to connect with in order for people to be invested in your film. So unless you're making some kind of like technocratic type examination of humanity, I think you kind of failed. I think he, I think he was trying to make a movie. He was trying to connect with an audience and it didn't work for me. So, but thank you, Lewis, for this suggestion. Rest in peace, my friend. And uh, hopefully we did this justice for you, sir. I'm sure you would have brought many interesting things to say to this discussion. And uh, we miss you. And this, this episode was worse off for it. Yeah, I think he would have brought a lot more unique and interesting perspectives on this than, than we're able to muster here. But I, I hope that we did okay. Um, as a tribute to you, Lewis, uh, you were a good guy and we're very saddened by your passing. So the... Um, the link to the GoFundMe, again, is lastnighters.com slash Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. This is episode 59 of the show. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 59. And we will be coming back next week with what did we land on on the uh, prize wheel, Robert? Um, I'm, you know, I'm really rooting hard for Incredibles 2. But, you know, I also watched The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is amazing. I don't know if it's suitable for this show, but I just want to give a shout out to that movie, Coen Brothers film on Netflix. It's available right now and it's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, Incredibles 2. I also watched Brawl and Cell Block 99. Not as good, but uh, I don't know. I'll leave it up to you to decide between those. Well, let's lighten it up and go uh, Incredibles 2 for next week. I think that will be a fun one. I did watch Cell Block 99 last summer and... Uh, yeah, not a great movie. It's kind of a grindhouse type movie, but there are some yeah. interesting questions in it. And this that might be fun grindhouse. Yeah, yeah, I think we could have some fun with that one. And also, uh, what was the other one, the Coen Brothers? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I will watch that. And if if I can see some stuff worth talking about, maybe we'll do it in the future. If not, audience, check it out anyway. And I yeah. will also do the same. I, uh, I'm curious to know if you could find anything to really talk about. It doesn't really lend itself to what we do, but it's a really good film. Okay, well, we will check it out, and uh, we will say good night from last night, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Peace out. And continuing on the actual anarchy transmission for a few more minutes, Robert. 
there is a uh, an interview that Terry Gilliam did with a guy named Clive James, and I will post this on the Actual Anarchy show notes page at actualanarchy.com slash 116. And in this interview, he's talking about Brazil, and he says to his surprise that apparently it's a favorite film of the far right in America. Really? Wait, who's making this claim? Gilliam's making the claim? Yes, Gilliam's making the claim that this is apparently, and he's surprised by this, a favorite film of the far right in America. Now, this interview was done probably... 20 some odd years ago so then he's sympathetic then to the far right then because he's making a dystopian film pointing out these dystopian ideas these horrors of authoritarianism then he must realize that the far right is anti-authoritarian then no he's not he's not saying that the far right are like hey this is how you do a society right well i think that his comment in the context of being surprised by it i think he's he's saying that i depicted a totalitarian fascist nazi-esque far right society and therefore right i'm surprised that the far right likes this because i'm trying to show how horrific it is right and then the far right must go yeah look how horrific it is or he thinks that that they like it because oh yeah that's ideal that's what we want how could anybody watch that movie and go hey this is a really good idea this is like a roadmap. this is perfect (laughs) except for the uk government in 1984 i mean they read that as an instruction manual but right and apparently this was uh floated a title of this movie was 1984 and a half. Yeah. They settled on Brazil. He can't be that dense, can he? Does he really think that the far right watched this movie and went, this movie's got a lot of good ideas in terms of how to tyrannically rule a society? Well, yeah, All I that bureaucracy, mm, look at my chops. Or I, I'm sure that, that he's not talking about people like, like us who would be considered right, even though I don't consider myself right. You know what I'm saying? Like um, on that, Compass. 99% of the world considers you right, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. On the, on the four point compass, I'm in the bottom right quadrant. Yeah. Like so all that, the way. Right. I know. Me too. Yeah. I know. Me too. Okay. So in that, in that regard, yes, I'm, I'm right. But I don't think he means that. I think he means like the um, neocon conservative or maybe the um, neo Nazi right. Well, I mean, these labels, you know, they're always constantly shifting. And what does he mean? If this is 20 years ago, what does that even mean? Is that the neocon right? Is that some kind of fringe right? Is this an actual conservative, like paleo-conservative, like constitutional right? I mean, what what is he talking about here 20 years ago? Yeah, well, I'll I'll post on the show notes page and we can give it a watch. And our audience can give it a watch and uh, see what you think. I, 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 I wonder what someone like Gilliam would think of things today versus back in the, you know, 20, 30 years ago when he made this movie. Because it really seems like, I mean, we were somewhat leftist back then. And it feels like the left has left that ideal, like keep the government out of the bedroom, personal freedom, compassion, whatever. Now it's all just clouded in compassion, but it's now very aggressive and authoritarian property, very authoritarian, very controlling. Yeah. And in the moderate, you know, liberal left that aren't necessarily like that, they are the more kind of personal freedom people are just kind of going along with it, seems to be. They're not speaking out against it, from what I can tell. I mean, I don't want, I hate to speak in like these broad collective strokes, but you don't, you know, when someone says some insane authoritarian thing on the left, you don't see a huge pushback from the left. You see the pushback from the right. And the right has turned into the free speech, you know, people, which is crazy because free speech was what I was all about pretty much in like, you know, my college days. It seemed like a pretty important thing. Right, and the, and the right was uh, trying to shut down like artistic free speech and music and yeah they were all shutting down yeah they're like talking out how nwa was should be in jail or whatever and how marilyn manson and eminem are just the worst things but now it's anybody who calls a woman a man or a man a woman this is the nazi and i don't understand the world we live in is this what happens to every older generation you just don't understand the kids these days is that what's going on i think that's a thing but i think this this is maybe something uh, an accelerator on top of that it seems to be. They just have their foot on the gas pedal and they're never going to be. This is why you I mean, you just don't give them an inch because they just take a mile. And they're never satisfied. Never satisfied. You don't apologize and you don't give them an inch. Just don't give them anything. You, you smack down this insanity at the root. Or go galt. Which or go galt. I think is uh, can. pretty tempting. I'm, I'm working towards that. Well, anyway, um, I think we should end it here and maybe do some Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon, if you are good with that, Robert. 
I am inclined to acquiesce to that proposal. All right, will do. And uh, show notes more for this episode. Our tribute to Lewis Lieberman uh, is actualanarchy.com slash 116. There will be a link on there for the GoFundMe. That can also be found at actualanarchy.com slash Lewis. And we uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. And we will get in some Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Oh, and uh, back for Incredibles 2 next week. Peace out. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do. In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.